Hey, it's Josiah Novak, and welcome to the True Transformation Podcast, the top fitness podcast for men who want to get ripped, naturally boost testosterone levels, and use fitness as a tool to not only look and feel better, but improve all areas of life in the process. Welcome to the show. Buckle up. Life moves fast. Let's make it count. Today's podcast is with none other than Chris Pronger, one of the greatest NHL hockey players of all time. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Chris Pronger is, he's appeared in the Stanley Cup Finals, which is basically the Super Bowl of hockey with three different teams, ultimately became world champion with the Anaheim Ducks. And uh, he was the NHL's most valuable player as a defenseman, which even if you're not a hockey guy, you know, if a guy plays defense and wins the MVP of the whole league, that's a pretty big deal. He did that in the 1999, 2000 season. He's also a Olympic gold medalist for team Canada, which just adds to a long list of achievements that Chris has achieved in his historical NHL career. I would argue that Chris is top five all time, definitely the greatest defenseman of all time. But we sit down today for an hour. and We talk about Chris's childhood and also his thoughts around how kids should be ingrained in sports. We talk about his habits and routines that he had early on in his playing career and then how that evolved as his career matured. Uh, we also talk about Chris's post NHL career life now as an entrepreneur and uh, some of the things he's passionate about in terms of helping young athletes manage their financial picture more responsibly. So Chris is a dad. He's kind enough to spend an hour of his time with us today. So you guys are going to enjoy this one. Even if you're not a hockey fan, if you're just a fan of competitive sports and the mindset that it takes to be great at sports, Chris is your guy. So buckle up, sit back and enjoy the next hour with Chris Pronger. Before we jump into the interview with Chris, just a heads up. Today's podcast is sponsored by our free fasting protocol. You can go download it for free at fastingking.com. That's fastingking.com. You can get a full summer body, lean body, get, get ripped, burn fat program, utilizing what we call power fasting. It's our protocol for guys who enjoy skipping breakfast and losing fat. So go check that out, fastingking.com. Let's jump into the interview with Chris Pronger. I know before I hit record, we were just talking about your knees and how they're healing and how that's going. But for those listening who don't know, you, you just recently had knee replacement surgery, correct? I had uh, knee replacement surgery right before Thanksgiving, mm. mid-November. And so I am almost six months post-surgery. So, you know, dealing with some pain, range of motions, good where it needs to be, you know, but still swells up. It's probably going to swell up for you know, another six months or so just from use and, and, you know, rehab and things of that nature. But as we say, sometimes you need to turn the page and start working. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have knee, knee issues early on or was this? I something had, yeah. Growing up, I didn't have a huge burst. I was always steadily growing. So I had a lot of growing pains was always susceptible to patella tendonitis and actually quad tendonitis more so. Mm. And when I started playing pro, you know, first couple of years weren't too bad, but when I got to St. Louis, I used to get a lot of quad tendonitis. I'd have to, you know, put hot packs on, go in the hot tub, put hot packs on, try to warm them up before I went out 
I uh, did a lot of, as my career went along, I did a lot of knee specific knee work and training, trying to get my VMO firing properly and, and strengthen that to get my kneecap to track properly. Uh, I had a lot of kneecap issues, but after every game, after every practice I iced, I always had two bags of ice on, on my knees. I'd always be doing my media scrums with two ice packs on my knees and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I would ice sometimes before practice just to get rid of some swelling or, you know, get rid of some inflammation and then rewarm them up, you know, kind of that hot, cold treatment. And then during my playing career, I had three knee surgeries on my right, one on my left. And then post career, I've had three on my right and now the knee replacement. So a lot of issues with my kneecap and just how it was tracking creating a lot of bone on bone, you know, had obviously meniscus stuff, but, but also, uh, some, some chondromalacia <laughs> <laughs> underneath my kneecap. <laughs> and then obviously a lot of arthritis pretty much in every joint I have. So, mm. uh, motion solution at this stage. Yeah. So w- when did you start playing hockey? Was it like uh, out of the womb basically, or what? Uh, I started playing when I was five. Mm. Learned to skate when I was four and then started playing when I was five. So this is a lot of, I mean, you, you started putting wear and tear yeah. pretty early on. I mean, I guess it makes sense. So, you know, my, my kids being around that same age now, you know, the best, I guess, start really young and they just never stop. Yep. That's, you know, not that you're not going to be able to pick it up, but it's easier when you're younger and, and form the passion for the sport and, and whatnot. And, it's like a foreign language. The earlier you start learning it, the easier it is to pick it up. So not everybody is gifted athletically to skate a certain way or, you know, do certain things. Like I'm not considered a great skater. I'm a good skater, was Mm -hmm. a good skater, but I certainly wasn't as proficient as some of the good skaters in the league where you just kind of look at them and go, man, I wish I could skate like that. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so were you one of the taller guys in hockey? Yeah. When I first turned pro, I think I was the third tallest player in the league. I was going to say, cause you're what? Six, six, right? Yeah. And yeah, now like basketball height. <laughs> yeah. By the end of it, I was probably the 50th tallest. Really? Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, lots of guys in the minors and, and, and up that, you know, Charles six, nine, he'd be the tallest. John yeah. Scott was six, eight. Bugard was sick. I mean, that's lots insane. of guys, six, seven. Now a lot of goalies, six, seven, six, six. So, you know, there's, there's a lot more players now that are tall and, and just the natural progression of human growth. I mean, we just get bigger and bigger. Mm. Um, you know, the average height in the league is I think six, one, maybe six, one and a half now. Uh, And that doesn't account for being on the skates, right? No, no, no. That's, that's (laughs) That's not like football where they they give you (laughs) an inch, right. For your cleats. Like, yeah, yeah. He's six, three, really six, one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, no, that those are legit heights on, on your skates. I mean, I'd be six, eight or six, nine on my skates. Do not want to be in the way of the train coming down the tracks. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Cause you're skating. What, how fast those guys go out there? Right. Like, I mean, it's 25, 30 miles an hour. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Ice skating is one of those things. I, I know how to ice skate. Cause I, I learned at an early age, but just like, even just going out recreationally and doing it for fun with the kids. I'm like, how, how do the guys like, I can't imagine worrying about getting smashed and smashing other people and having to maneuver on a dime. 
Like it's just, it's absurd. The, the amount of skill required. Yeah. I would say it's probably the toughest sport to learn and play. And, you know, just because you're, you're on top of ice mm. uh, with a blade <laughs> with people trying to hit you. <laughs> and there's this little black puck that you apparently have to use. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. That's, that also hurts, by the way. That thing is yeah. like not not soft. It's not a tennis ball. Yeah, yeah. No. So, were you always the best on the ice growing up, or did that like were you like a late bloomer? Yeah, no. I was always, you know, one of the best players on the ice, and I just always kept trending. Always tried to move up in competition and and play against better competition. And you know, at a young age, I moved up an age group. And then when I played, started high school in grade nine, I started playing high school hockey. Mm. Uh, and, you know, we had 19, 20 year olds on our team. So I was 14 playing against 20 year olds. Holy, so on I, high school hockey? Yeah. Holy so, crap. you know, we'd have players that came back from junior and, and whatnot, and they'd want to finish high school. And, oh, wow. You know, you got guys 19, 20 years old on the team. <laughs> so, holy crap. And, and pretty good players. <laughs> so you're able to test your medal against, in practice, against some good players. And then obviously there was a number of those types of players throughout the, throughout our league. So uh, it was pretty good hockey to, to learn from, especially, you know, I was fairly tall, but super skinny. And so you had, you got to, you know, from an early age, I was always built that way. You had to learn leverage and learn balance and things of that nature to really make sure that uh, you're going to hit somebody. You're not getting plowed over. Right. <laughs> and I had a bit of a temper. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> I'm saving the good stuff. Yeah. No. So I'm curious though, did, did your dad and mom, did they support it? Did they get you into sports? Like what, what was their take on it? Yeah, no, for sure. You know, hockey, it's kind of a Canadian thing. It's a winter thing. All our buddies played. We all played from, as I said, the age of five, you know, when I left home at 15, uh, we'd always play road hockey or at the outdoor rink or at, at the arena or in our driveway. I played other sports. Like I, I still it baffles my mind. These people that only play one sport. Mm. We golfed in the summer. We played baseball in the summer or in the spring. We played played volleyball in high school. I played I played badminton. You know, just wow. always you know just trying to be athletic and you use different skills and you know work on your hand eye doing all these things. I don't know how players and athletes in general when they become so sports specific at a really young age. They don't learn any of these other uh, sports and, and some people are just athletic and they can pick up anything really fast and others yeah. struggle. And I think they struggle because they've never been able to do another sport and they haven't been able to learn muscle memory and things like that, that it, you're recruiting different muscles and, and different parts of your brain to play different sports. Yeah, as, as a dad to young boys who are into sports, it kind of, I guess sometimes you feel like I don't want to spread them too thin, but at the same time, I want them to try everything because I don't know what they're going to love and I don't know what they're going to be the best at. But when they are really good at something, you're tempted to just be like, okay, let's keep them in year round. But you, you would suggest give them a, give them a chance to do a lot of things. Yeah, I would say, I mean, you know, I think that the people that are sports specific and they, they make it, they're the outliers. The people that, you know, like Wayne Gretzky played baseball, he played lacrosse, he played hockey. But most people that excel and are really, really good in sport played other sports. You know, Michael Jordan loved golf and, you know, loved doing all this. 
played baseball and golf. You know, it just the best players in their respective fields typically and almost to a person played other sports. Tom Brady, another guy, multiple mm. sports. A, your body needs a break from that same movement over and over. But B, you also need to just give yourself a break in general. Learn to do something else. Go have fun. Sports has become this alleged money factory. Mm. And we forget that it's about having fun and letting kids enjoy themselves and socialize and create new friends and drive and competition and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we, we lose sight of that sometimes. And and I hear people all the time saying, Hey, you know, my, my kid's really good. What do you think? And I go, well, how old is he? Well, he's seven. I'm like, dude, <laughs> seriously, like, come on. Even That's when me. somebody tells me, they're, <laughs> even, even when they, somebody tells me their kid's 13, I'm like, hold on. Has your kid even gone through puberty yet? Oh, like, that's a good point. You're not going to know anything until they go through puberty and, and A, figure out, are they coordinated? What is their size? But, but B, what's their passions? You know, that puberty does something to the brain too, where you, it affects your passion for sport and what your likes and dislikes are. Maybe if it's your son and he likes hockey and you like baseball, you're forcing baseball down his throat, but he likes hockey. Mm. I'd coach him in hockey, but I'm like, if you're not having fun, I don't want you playing. You don't have to do this because of me. One year I asked my kid after the season, he didn't look like he was having fun. He looked, you know, he was just kind of fooling around and whatever. I'm like, you don't look like you're having much fun. And he's like, no, not really. I go, well, then don't play. Mm. Go play something, but you're going to play something. Go play something else. So he picked up basketball and loved it. You know, winter sport. And, and then my older boy quit the next year. Cause he saw how much fun my other son was having. So, <laughs> and then he picked it up and loved it. And so, you know, I think a lot of people get stuck in this rut of thinking that they have to do, you know, they need to force their kids to do something or let them have fun. As long as they're engaged in sports and athletics and having fun and enjoying themselves, which is what sport is about. Yeah, there's the bigger picture of professional and all that, but that's such a small segment of the population in sports that it ultimately it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, it's like the half percent of the one percent that ultimately <laughs> if that make it yeah, right. <laughs> if it, that, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean and so oh oh by the way, and then of that half percent of the one percent, another quarter of a percent actually excel and take it to that. <laughs> Yeah, actually get paid. High level. <laughs> get paid well. And, you know, they're not just the one that gets called up and down from the minors and, you know, plays a cup of coffee and has a lot of fun doing it, but they still then got to go get a job and figure life out and do all the rest of that. And it's, it's not as glamorous in that light as it might seem for those on the outside when you're the person that may, you know, may have a family and is 28 years old and has young kids and you get, sent up and down. Well, yeah, now your, your wife, your husband is they're managing all this stuff and mm. taking care of it all. So it, it can be not as glamorous and, and sometimes quite stressful with the up and downs and, and the trades and, you know, the year to year contracts and all that stuff. It's, it's uh, it can take its toll. Yeah, no, that's, that's such a good point. I mean, I was cut from my middle school baseball team <laughs> I was, I was, I think I was 12. Yeah. I got cut and I was you know, devastated. And then I went on to get a college scholarship for baseball. Cause I just loved the sport. 
I just yeah. kept playing and I hit puberty and I got big. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. you know, so like the kids I see out there on the field, my kids who are, you know, pretty good. My kids are good. They're, they're definitely talented, but I'm like, you guys are so small. Like th- we don't even know these kids might be doing something totally different yeah. in 10 years. You know, they, yeah. they care less about soccer or baseball or football or whatever we're playing yep. in 10 years. What was it like though, when you got drafted? Cause you got drafted, I believe second overall, correct? Yeah. I knew going into the draft or that my draft year, you know, there was obviously a lot of scrutiny. I just love playing though. So I was more focused on winning. We had a good team in juniors. So I was focused on winning and trying to win it the win the Memorial cup. And I wasn't really that focused on the draft, you know, and you know, you're going to go where you're going to go. I mean, there's nothing you can do about the draft other than play and try to be successful and play on a winning team because what do people want the most? They want winners, <laughs> right? You know, when you look, when I look back and look at the teams that had the most success and you can even take pros and use them as an example, when teams win, people want to pick all the players and, and add them to the row. Well, he's a winner. He's played on a winning team. He knows what it takes, you know, on and on and on. And those guys get probably a little more money than they probably deserve, but they're a bit on winners. I wasn't focused on the draft. I was focused on winning and focused on playing and having fun and had a blast. And, and our coach Dick Todd and Peterborough did a great job of, he didn't make me captain. He, you know, I was assistant captain. He's like, I, I don't want you to have that pressure. I want you to just be free and play the game. And having had a player that had recently gone through that where he was supposed to go first overall and slipped in the draft to number four, but I think was, was the captain kind of was the the golden boy. And, and I think a little bit of that pressure got to him where there was a lot of scrutiny, you know, picking his game apart. Is he a good enough skater? Is he this, is he that? And it, uh, I think it kind of, it kind of grinded on him a little bit and they didn't have as good a team. Hmm. So, you know, it, it can, it can go both ways and it can, it can be a deterrent and a, and a distraction, or it can kind of help galvanize your mindset and just, you know, it all depends on the type of person you are. What were those early days like in the league? I mean, did you have mentors? Did you have to kind of figure it out as you went along? You didn't have, yeah, is how old no, were you? I, 18? I was 18. Yeah. No, I had a great mentor in Brad McCrimmon. He was 36. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. Um, you know, he had just recently come, we traded for him from Detroit where he had just rent mentored Nick Lidstrom. And then we, we got him. He was, he now became my mentor. And I think just being able to room with him on the road, sat next to him in the locker room. He was my partner on the ice and just a lot of interactions and talking about the game, talking about life, talking about what it takes to be a pro and, you know, just little things and, and kind of, and, and not in a pushy way, just like, Hey, this is life. This is what, this is what it's like in the NHL and just things like that, where, because the league has become a lot different and younger, you don't necessarily get that very often. There's still some guys in the league that are older like that, but not very many. And, and you know, you need, especially with young, young players in 18, 19, 20, you need that sage and veteran presence that is going to allow them to kind of been there, done that and, and, and be a guiding influence and force with, with the younger guys. So it helped me a lot. You know, you grow up fast, uh, living on your own and, and, uh, getting away from home. Fortunate enough, I was moved away from home at 15. So I'd already been gone for three years. So I had a little, 
little learning uh, lessons already, but playing pro was a lot different than going away and playing junior. (laughs) You are left, you are left to your own free will. So (laughs) not a lot of people checking up on you. (laughs) Yeah. Hockey players have a, a little bit of a party party animal reputation. I think in comparison to a lot of other sports, I don't know. Why is that? Why, why are the hockey guys get down a little, little harder? It seems like than other sports. Uh, I just think guys like going out and having a few beers and, you know, all my buddies growing up, you sit around in a garage and have some beer and laugh and tell stories. We still do it. <laughs> it's a lifestyle, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of yeah. what we do. And I mean, we don't get crazy. We just sit around drinking beer and laughing and having a good time and telling stories. I don't know. You know, I just, you know, I think you gotta be a little crazy to play hockey, you know, especially if you play physical and, and on the edge, you, you gotta have a little bit of a screw loose, but typically that's how we play. But not typically. That's not how we are off the ice. You know, most, most hockey players are pretty down to earth and, and pretty chill when it, when it comes time to step off the ice. So sometimes the persona on the ice is expected off the ice and, and people are pleasantly or unpleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah, Cause you were known as like probably one of maybe, maybe the all time most physical player. In the, in the history, I mean, at least one of them, I'd say if, if yeah, not top I, five, top three, maybe. Yeah. Just from a suspension and, <laughs> um, the know, rest the like it. And, and yeah, I mean, it just, uh, you like to make sure people know that you're going to be out there and they, they need to be leery and, uh, you never know what's going to happen. You know, that was something that I learned early on in my junior career and, and, and kind of played that way anyways, but was taught you need to be unpredictable. And, and that's something that uh, Brad McCrimmon taught me too. in in Hartford, you got to be unpredictable and, and whether you're going to slash a guy, lift his stick, spear him, cross check him, hit him, whatever you, they just, you, they need that little bit of hesitation and that's all you need, whether it is to recover and, and be able to defend or take the puck or, you know, get on the offense. And so when you have that, you, you, you get a little bit of room, but you also create that hesitation in your opponent. And there's a lot of times second half of my career where guys weren't too excited coming down my side. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to get my pound of flesh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've witnessed some of those hits being a Blackhawks fan. And we, we definitely, we definitely saw some of that. Were there unspoken rules though? Like kind of like baseball, you know, it's like, you know, with the hitting of the guys and stuff like that. I mean, did you have specific guys on the other team that you're like, okay, these guys are off limits. They're the stars or like they're the, they're, or was it just free for all? Like, Hey, I'm coming after your best guy. No, I, no, but you know, there were certain players. I, I, you have a modicum of respect for in the sense that you're not trying to name them or murder them, but you're playing them hard. You know, I, I played everybody hard, you know, and then the latter part of Gretzky's career was the early part of my career. You know, you're not out there trying to kill them. But, but you still got to play hard against them because you, yeah. you know, same thing with Lemieux, same thing. Like you respect who they are. You respect their talent. You respect their, uh, what they've meant to the game and, and what they've done in the game. But you also need to play your way and, and play the game the way you know how to play it to the best of your abilities. And you, you need to play that way. Otherwise you're not as effective. So mm. you alter it maybe just a touch, but, but not very much. I tried before, you know, to try to tone it down a notch and, and play a little less physical and in hopes of not hurting myself or, or 
giving your body a little bit more time to recover or what have you. And I needed to be all in and focused and excited and adrenaline and all that. I needed it maximum capacity to be effective. And when I tried pulling my foot off the gas just a little bit, it just wasn't there. I couldn't do it. And yeah. you also, you also leave yourself susceptible to injury because you're not going full out because, you know, so whether it was preseason, regular season or postseason, I was playing the same way mm-hmm. because it just, I learned, I almost got hurt one time, kind of half ass in it. And I'm like, all right, never again. I'm not doing that. It's just not going to, it's not going to end well mm-hmm. for anybody. <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You, know, you put yourself into bad positions. You're not fully engaged and it just, you get, you got it for me. I had to be all in, you know, some guys can do it. Some guys are out there screwing around and warm up and, you know, flipping pucks and doing all that garb and uh, chatting with guys during the game. I'm like, I never, I never got that. I, I, I don't know. That, that's the enemy to me. Like I never wanted to talk to players. I never wanted to be really buddy, buddy and tapping guys in the shin pads. Hey, bud, how you doing? I'm like, no, I'm trying to kill you. Like, no, I'm not going to be talking to you out here. If I'm talking to you, it's not going to be very polite. A <laughs> <laughs> few choice words. Yes. Uh, what, what was your game day routine to get in that mindset? Like, what, what, what did you, did you have rituals? Did you have special things you did? I mean, yeah, I guess you could call them quasi rituals. You know, obviously the pregame skate, get in, get prepped, get your kind of get your sticks cut, get them kind of ready to go tape them, probably tape them, get them set up, you know, check them in pregame skate, get, bring them out and kind of get them ready to go and and check the flex, make sure they're not going to break that type of stuff. 15, 20 minutes skate, you know, you do a couple things, maybe move the puck around in the power play, get the legs moving, you know, get, just get a light sweat Mm. You get off. How far is that from, from game time? That's uh, home game is 1030 ice on home game. 1130 if you're the road team. So I'd go to the rink at, you know, probably nine. Okay. I'd get to the rink at nine, you know, start warming up, you know, maybe get a little bike ride, stretch, tape my sticks, kind of start all the prep work, but not dialed in, just kind of more, you know, zipping the puck around, just feeling it out, get, you know, make sure skates are set up, all that kind of stuff. Go have a pregame meal. I always had chicken breast. And then I had a bowl of pasta and then I had a salad. Uh, and then at home I'd have a couple scoops of vanilla ice cream, go to bed probably from like one 30 to three 30, get up, throw my suit snack at home and then go down to the rink. Usually the younger I was, I got there probably too early. I'd get there at like four for a seven o'clock game. It was, you know, as I got older, it just got, it was too early. Uh, so I typically would get there about four 30, you know, I just hang out and stretch and, you know, talk to guys, whatever. And then just start getting ready to get, get the mindset, get, get ready to play at five 30 for a seven o'clock game, five 30, we'd have a team meeting. Then, you know, guys would go kick the soccer ball and I would go ride the bike and kind of get a 10 or 15 minute bike ride in, start stretching, throw my stuff on. I'd always put my right side on before my left you know, crap like that. And then by the time we're getting ready to go out for warm up, when I'm starting to put my equipment on, I'm kind of like, all right, I'm getting in the zone for warm up. I, I needed to be a warm up. I needed to just work on, you know, my edges, work on what I needed to do. Maybe, you know, 
check out a couple guys and <laughs> give a couple choice words. <laughs> it's going to be a long night for you, fella. <laughs> and then uh, get ripping around at about the five minute mark, take off from warm up, leave the warm, you know, we go into a little semi suit. I probably a second or third shooter, shoot the puck, do a couple laps, get off. I would sit in all my stuff and just take my top half off. I'd leave my skates on. I'd leave everything on and just kind of sit there and just get ready. And just whether I needed to get a meet on or, <laughs> or uh, I already had one and I was good to go or just, you know, whatever, just kind of sit there and relax, not get too amped up and just calm before the storm. Did you ever need a uh, supplementation, you know, before the game? Like, did you ever, you know, caffeine, that kind of stuff? Or was, or was, or was it just like, we had a couple of guys that took Asian orange and took all kinds of shit. <laughs> I, I would take, I would take two, uh, one or two Sudafed more for my nose. Cause mm. I get uh, my nose. would always run or, or get clogged up. So I'd always take a Sudafed just to unclog me. So I, you know, I wasn't one of those guys taking eight or 10 of them. I took two, <laughs> Two yeah. suit of fed just to kind of open it up. A couple times I tried Agent Orange and I just about killed somebody. So I was like, <laughs> I can't do this stuff no more. <laughs> I was too amped up and too jacked up. I'm like, I'm already jammed up, ramped up enough. I don't need this stuff to get me going. So I, oh my goodness, I stayed off that stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, that stuff will get you wired pretty quick. I, yeah. I guess I tell you I know, have, I would have a banana in between periods or, you know, an orange or banana, typically a banana. Just, uh, I was always one of those guys, you know, some people wouldn't eat from pregame meal at one o'clock till after the game. I'm like, I, I didn't like being hungry. So I'd always have a, you know, I'd have a snack at, at home before a home game or on the road before the bus. And then at the rink, I might have half a bagel or have something. And then, you know, I'd have a banana between periods and then, you know, just, just a little bit of fuel, a little bit of something just to tide me over and just get something in my gut. Yeah, no, I, I it's, it's interesting. Cause yeah, everyone's appetite's a little different, especially when it comes to athletic performance. Like I know for me, I like to, to do my athletic stuff on an empty stomach. It just, I feel bogged down, but I need something right after, right? Yeah. Like I got to refuel quickly. And some uh, people feel like they're going to throw up. They're like, I can't have anything. Yeah. Cause I feel like I'm going to throw up. I get, you know, whatever I, have to eat before I work, you know, if I work out, I eat before I work out. Mm, yeah. Cause I need, I can't be starving. It'll drive me bananas. Mm. Well, the hockey season's what 82 games yep. regular season. Right. Then, then of course, and you know, people don't even realize this. You, you probably, I don't know. How many games did you average per year with playoffs? Oh boy. Uh, three or four preseason, you know, if I played the whole year, 82. So you're at, 86 plus at least say average a second round, probably, you know, close to hundred games. Yeah. That's incredible. Like how, how did you manage that kind of endurance? Cause I mean, well, as, the only better is baseball, right? Baseball is 162 yeah. and then hockey is way more physically demanding than baseball. As my career went along, I started working out with Charles Poliquin. I had a system put into place, you know, I, I was on, you know, supplements, I was fish oil and, magnesium and all this stuff. And then I had a certain protocol in place for lifts and things like that. And then I would typically, as, as I, my career went along, I figured out kind of what I needed. I didn't do a lot of cardio because that was on the ice. I did the odd bike ride, but typically I would, I would lift at least twice a week 
where I was lifting for like 45 minutes, but heavy just to keep my strength. And, you know, in the midst of a, of a season, you're in three and four nights or four and six nights, I would still get a lift in, even if it cost me a little bit of energy because I needed, I knew in the long run, I needed that strength. So I was willing to give up a little bit for maybe the next game, but in the long run, it was going to help me over the totality of the season. So I would work out two to three times, especially the, at the end of my career, when I was in Philly, I really had my system down pat where I was doing, I had a squat routine I was doing and a core routine and a, and a lift routine where I was either doing it before practice, after practice, or after games. And I was getting in three lifts a week just to maintain my strength and, and keep that explosiveness and, and keep that power up. I'm playing 30 minutes tonight. I don't need cardio, <laughs> you know, yeah, whereas yeah. you get the guy that's playing five or 10 minutes, they need the cardio, mm. you know, like I, I played with tons of guys that may, maybe didn't play 30 minutes, but they might play 20 minutes as a forward. These guys, like some, as you know, everybody's different. These guys would be gaining weight playing 20 minutes a night. They, they didn't want to lift. They didn't want to do all that because they were gaining weight. I'm over here shrinking to nothing playing 30 minutes a night. And I'm just like, I, I got to lift. I got to eat. I was eating, you know, a ton of calories. Every chance I got, I was trying to eat and, and train and losing weight. It's just, everybody's body composition is different. Everybody's metabolism is different. So you, you kind of got to find, no, it's not a one size fits all. Everybody needs yeah. to understand themselves and how their makeup is and, and have a little trial and error and figure out what works best for you. Cause how I was working out in the end of my career was not how I worked out in the beginning or the middle, you know, you're able to map out and, and depending upon where you're playing your travel schedule and all that, you know, um, travel in Philly was easy, but travel in Anaheim was terrible. So you're, you're working out at different times. You're trying to map out the travel schedule and the game schedule and your training regimen and trying to fit it all together. So it, it can be a little, you got to put some effort into mapping it all out. Yeah. Do you think strength training contributed to you having you know more time in your career or was it something that was just good for your performance more than anything? Yeah, I think, I think it helped my performance more than anything, but I think it also, the way that I worked out with Charles, typically I was banged up after a season and something was wrong. So I'd spend a month rehabbing, you know, shoulder, you know, you're doing rotator cuff stuff and you're doing all this, you know, yep. lightweight stuff that people are looking at you in the gym going seriously, but you're rehabbing all your injuries and you're trying to get your body back to base so that when you start lifting, you're not compensating as you know, it was all about form and function and, 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 you know, as you're going, you know, ramping it up a pound and a half, two pounds, like just any little gain. Mm. And so by, by the first couple of years after I started training with them, I, I saw a huge difference in my strength and my power I was literally picking guys up off the ice in training camp and just kind of tossing them. <laughs> wow. And, and so, you know, when you see the results like that after a season or two of training with somebody, you, you get pretty good buy-in right off the bat. And then I, you know, I did that for another 10 years and then I had everything. And then I was, you know, I had to change things a little bit because 
my body was changing because of age and the, the league was changing and I didn't need to be as big, but I needed to be faster. And, and so things, you know, you just got to alter what you do and you keep mm. parts of the exercises that you like and the things that you can do. And then you supplement in, you know, maybe it's a little bit more cardio, maybe it's a little bit more quick feet stuff and, and things of that nature. So it was, I never did quick feet stuff at the beginning of my career. And then by the middle of it, I did a lot of it. You need to adapt and, and add things to your repertoire that are going to allow you to have sustainable success. Yeah. Now that's, it's like periodization, right? I yeah. mean, Poliquin's one of the greatest of all time in that department. When, when did you start training with him? Was it before your MVP? Oh yeah. Uh, it was 90, 96, 97. Oh, so like working. a couple of years before. Yeah. I started working with 97. So, uh, so I walked in and met him at Al McInnes's house and I walked in the front door and he was standing over here in the office. I walked towards him. He's like, here, walk towards me. It's like four or five steps. He goes, uh, your left knee sore. I go, yeah. He goes, your left shoulder sore. I go, yeah. He goes, let me look at it. He's like, yeah, you got a bad rotator cuff. Let me feel your knee. Yeah, we can fix that. We got to get your VMO fire and we got to do, he just categorized all the things that I need to fix. Spent a month working on that stuff, getting everything back into alignment, getting, you know, getting my back, my hips, my legs, my knees, and then started lifting more, teaching me the proper lifts and the form and, and all that. I mean, I'm, I'm like, well, these, these weights aren't, they're nothing. Well, when I was doing it in the proper form, <laughs> like it was friggin' hard. I was like, holy shit. I was sweating. I, I don't sweat very much. I was sweating. I was like, you know, and everything is done to a cadence. Everything's done to time, you know, 60 seconds for high rep, 90 seconds for low rep, you know, and I'm just like, you don't realize how much time when you're not paying attention to the time, mm. how much rest time you actually take. Oh, you know, maybe you have a conversation. Maybe if it says 60 seconds, he'd be like, okay, you're up. And I'm like, already, he's like, you're, you're up. And he'd be like, now you got to go. And I'm like, okay. And I do my thing. And after doing that for a year or two, you just, you get accustomed to knowing the time. And I'd be standing there just catching some water and you know, catching my breath. And I'd just go, okay, it's got to be close. And I'd look and it'd be like two seconds. Okay. And then I go right over to the spot, start doing my exercise again. Um, so it, it, uh, I loved, I, I still train that way, you know, mm -hmm. to a cadence to the, the, the rep, the rep ranges and, timing and all that stuff. It just, it's become a habit, but it's because it's works. Totally. Yeah. It's, it, it keeps your workouts more effective. And I would argue prevents injury uh, for a lot of guys, yeah. right? Because but you rest all day. Bananas in a gym, watching people work out. I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> why are you even in here? <laughs> Stop wasting your time. You're not getting cool. anything out of this. Yeah. Doing three sets in like 30 minutes. Yeah. No, that's exactly, that's exactly how it is. And when you time your rest period, you, you really start to, uh, realize, you know, Hey, I don't need these crazy heavy weights. Yeah. You know, the time under tension yeah. is doing all the work yeah. for me now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's epic. Or what, taking what? 10 minutes between exercises. Cause you got to right. now, Oh, I got to get over here. I got to do this. No, you got to get moving. <laughs> you get a minute and a half to get all your crap and get going. Yep. Yeah, no, it makes it, 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 when people say they don't have time to work out, I say you do, 
You're just not timing your workouts. Not managing it properly. (laughs) (laughs) Your your rest time is probably eight minutes between sets. Yeah. You have time. Yeah. Uh, What what was your favorite moment as a hockey player? Was it the MVP winning the Stanley cup? What was your favorite? Yeah, I would, I would say the Stanley cup, just it's what I grew up wanting to do. And, and, you know, it's the ultimate trophy in pro sports. It takes 10 months of blood, sweat, and tears with a group of players, staff, management, ownership, to all be on the same page, to all have that same goal, be willing to sacrifice to, to attain it. Close second is the Olympic gold medal, but mm. the difference is it just it's different because you get a group of players that go together for two weeks and then they win. And then you go back to trying to kill each other. <laughs> Whereas you're with a team for 10 months with a goal and a mindset and some players unfortunately come in and come out, but uh, for the most part, it, it's the same team. And a lot of times it's the same players year after year. And you finally attain this goal. Uh, it, it, it's pretty special. And, you know, it took me, I was 32, I think. Yeah, I was 32. So it took me 13 years to get it. Mm. Uh, and then the year before when I was in Edmonton, we went to the finals, lost in a game seven. So to, to go back the next year in Anaheim and win it was, uh, was a relief and pretty special at the same time. What's that feeling like when the time is expired and you're like, holy shit, did you have a, did you kind of know it was going to happen? And yeah, you're like, l- luckily for us, we were winning six, two. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, uh, uh, the ending was, was, you know, maybe five minutes to go in the game. We knew we were going to win, but that was almost sweeter is that you could enjoy taking things in and you could kind of relax a little and enjoy the crowd. It was at home. Fans were buzzing in anticipation of seeing the cup and seeing everything come together. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, you start getting goosebumps and butterflies and, you know, the juices get going knowing what's, what's about to happen. So it's, uh, it was pretty cool. That's amazing. So now that you're post hockey and you have kids, you have new ventures and stuff like that. What is, what are some of the habits and routines that you had as a hockey player, things that you took away from that career that you apply now? First and foremost is structure. Everything was always detailed and, you know, you got to be at the ring, you know, you run on a time clock You're you're like, Oh, you gotta be here. You gotta be here. You gotta be here. And I think most former athletes that struggle, they get out of a routine. They don't set their alarm clock to get up to work out. They don't, they just kind of get up and, you know, have no plan for the day. And typically you had a plan every single day other than an off day. But even then you're probably like, Oh, I got to go do this. I got to do that. I got to, you know, spend your day running errands to do the things that you weren't able to do the last week, having that structure and and a plan in place of, okay, I'm going to work out from eight to nine every day. And I'm going to, you know, do X, Y, Z and, and to map out your day. And I guess we could call it time blocking and just say at this specific time, I'm doing this and you got it. And then you hold yourself accountable to I'm doing this. I play with guys that are like, I've worked out, you know, for 20 years and I don't want to work out anymore. <laughs> and those are the guys that weigh 350 pounds Yeah, <laughs> where you're like, Oh my God, who is that? Cause they look totally different. And you know what, to each their own, but you always hear, people kind of tell you when you're doing marketing deals or you're doing interviews or you're meeting people, they need to know who it is. They need to recognize you. 
So if you put on another hundred pounds, they're going to go, who is this guy? You know, you got to look the part. So, you know, and I've, I've never been that heavy. I mean, the most I've ever been is what I am now, 240. So it's, I think it's just my body composition and kind of the way I hold my weight versus this is as heavy as I want to get, uh, you know, just from a health perspective, but more from a getting around and carrying the weight. It's just, you know, 225 to 230 is probably the ideal for me. And, and having a plan in place, you know, now that, you know, as we talked about at the top, now that I kind of got my knee fixed during the middle of COVID, I was working out six days a week. And one day I was doing split squat, uh, Bulgarian split squats. And I heard a, a crunch and I was like, being the stubborn, hard-headed man I am, <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm near the end of my workout. I'm just going to finish. So I kept going and I'm like grinding, grinding. And then my knee blew up and I'm like, oh, that, that was basically the end of it. Mm. I couldn't, I got knee surgery and they pulled out all kinds of chunks and it was never the same after that. And, and then when I went in to get this fixed and get it replaced, I was at a charity function and I was standing on a hardwood floor and just standing there was aching. And just standing there, anytime I was going to move quickly or, or just kind of turn wincing pain. And I was like, I just called my doc. I'm like, it's time. Let's do this two weeks. Let's get it done. Um, and when he went in there to, to, to do it, there was so much damage and scar tissue. And I had, I had my ACL done on that knee. There was scar tissue all over my ACL and, arthritis. I mean, he's like, it took me 30 minutes to just clean it out. Oh my goodness. Just to get it all clean. So it was time, you know, there was a lot of wear and tear on it and kind of is what it is now. Sure. What are you pouring energy into these days? What, what are you passionate about right now? Uh, you know, our business, well inspired travels, boutique luxury travel company, uh, caters to athletes, entertainers, CEOs, business owners, uh, high net worth family offices to, you know, really curate travel experiences that, that fit exactly what people are looking for. Uh, most people don't know what they want. They can kind of describe it and talk about it, but they don't know where, where it is and where they want to go. Sure. And so in having conversations with people and, and open dialogue and talking to them about what hotel properties or brands they like uh, where they've stayed in the past, what they haven't liked, destinations, and and are they adventurous? Do they are they foodies? Are they interested in language and, and history? You know, and and really try to peel back the onion layer to really get to understand them a little bit better and and learn more about them. And it, it's been a lot of fun learning and and talking to people and getting to know people much better, much more personal level. And uh, you know, that's probably the best part about the job is is having that connection with people and. And, and then seeing them go on these travel experiences and, and coming back and, go, oh, and learning about what they did and, and hearing about the, the times that they had. And um, it's, it's very fulfilling. That's epic. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, I, I don't know if I want my wife to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, that, and, you know, recently, you know, I joined Twitter in, uh, I don't know, January of 2022. Yeah. You might be my new favorite Twitter account, man, your threads are yeah. freaking nuts. Yeah. Just started, started firing off a few threads, 
courtesy of my buddy, Sam Parr. He's been helping me uh, uh, curate them and kind of weed through the, the ideology and, and maybe the thought process behind some of them. And, um, you know, they've garnered some pretty good traction and, and opened up a lot of eyes. I've talked to a lot of people since posting some of them that, uh, you know, not enough knowledge or not enough conversation has been given to the athlete space as it relates to money and finances and things of that nature. And so for me, I don't give a shit. Sure. <laughs> never have, never will. <laughs> you know, I'll piss people off, but I made the same mistakes in, in a lot of the tweets that I've put out there. I've made a lot of those same mistakes. And uh, fortunate enough for me, I was able to out earn a lot of the mistakes and kind of come out on the other side. And, you know, I think a lot of people think I'm whining, think I'm complaining, which I'm not because I'm not speaking to them. I'm actually speaking to the athlete, but allowing the lay person to, you know, step inside and see what it's like and, and feel like they're a part of it. Sure. But most athletes do not make that much money mm. in the long run. And in the general sense of you're 21 years old and you play four years and you make 750 grand a year. Well, you're not making 750 grand a year. Right. You know, and, and Oh, by the way, you, you don't think your career is going to be done at 25. So you're not, really saving and you're not, you're investing in yourself. You're hiring a trainer, you're hiring, you know, maybe not hiring a chef, but you're, you're, you're buying expensive food and supplements and all the team doesn't pay for that stuff. You have to pay for, you know, I think people think the team pays for everything, <laughs> which they don't, they pay you so that you can buy it. Yeah. The team takes um, care of your taxes and everything, right? They just do. It oh all. yeah. 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 <laughs> you got to pay taxes. You got, you know, you got to do all this stuff. A normal car, unbeknownst to people in the real world, a normal car is 50 grand. I'm yeah. sorry. But every car that I pass in the street is 50 grand. Totally. You know, so people, I don't think, have an understanding. You know, you don't have to buy a brand new car. Let's say you buy a two-year-old used car. Maybe it's 40, whatever. It's still a lot of money. Totally. And, and post-tax, that's 80. Yeah. You know, you're spending 80 grand of that 750. You know, by the way, the escrow and the taxes and all the agents fees and all the stuff that comes off, there's not a whole lot left to invest outside of, you know, throwing a couple hundred grand into a, you know, whatever fund or what have you. And if you make one mistake, it's gone. And oh, by the way, you're in the middle of a financial meltdown or you're in the middle, of, you know, all the different things that can happen. Sure. It, uh, and oh, now you're 25. You're probably a little beat up from sports and maybe not worldly in the sense of financial management and, and what have you. You never thought at the age of 25 or 26, you're going to be done looking for a job going, okay, what's next? I always thought I was going to be a football player, baseball player, hockey player, or whatever. It, it can be rather daunting. And at that young age going, okay, what's next? When all they've known is one thing and that's the sport. Mm. So it, it uh, more or less trying to open up their eyes and, and, and their minds more so to long-term thinking and, and taking care of themselves and taking care of their money better than you don't need the $400,000 chain and the rings and the whatever. And you don't need the Ferraris and the Bentleys when you're a rookie. Yeah. yeah if you're Kevin Durant or you're Shaq or you're Kobe, yeah, go ahead feel free. <laughs> but <laughs> when, when you're first starting well, your career, for free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. When you're first starting your career, 
you have to be very cognizant of where you're putting your money and what you're doing with your money. Because at that stage, it is so incredibly valuable to be investing mm-hmm. versus, you know, going, um, going out and, you know, spending four grand on dinner and buying everybody dinner and drinks or going to, you know, buy a new car or buy a boat or buy a house or buy, you're going to run into problems real fast because a, those things are expensive and B you haven't made that much yet. (laughs) Yeah. You're spending money you haven't earned yet. Yeah. 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 Or you're going into, and Oh, by the way, you only get paid during the regular season timeframe. So now you got to pay for your living expenses, the other seven months of the year. So it, you know, cash flow and cash management is also a function of, of those checks as well. So it, it, and you learn really, really fast. And a lot of times people don't have good people around them. They've got the, the back patterns telling them, yeah, let's go spend that money. Let's go have some fun. Yeah. Let's go on the trends. And, and you never think it's going to end. And you never think it's, it's been interesting. I've talked to a lot of cool people, a, a lot of good people that have uh, athletes best interests at heart, you know, so hopefully been working on a few things and we'll see what comes out of the fray, but uh, at least keep the conversation going and hopefully uh, impart a small amount of wisdom on some players out there that, uh, that can take care of it. Yeah. I would say even for the common you know, person on Twitter, that this stuff is really valuable. We, as a society, we just hate talking about money. Right. I mean, we, we yeah. don't do it in schools, my yeah. kids, you know, I'm, I'm putting my kids through a business summer business course that I'm creating myself this summer about, you know, cash flow and cost of goods and services and all this stuff. But this stuff isn't taught in schools. And no. I think athletes are sad. different. Yeah, it's, 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 it's criminal to be honest. Yeah. And it's, I would argue it's probably done on purpose. We'll, we'll be careful not to get canceled on our show here, but <laughs> I would argue that it's by, by design, right? Like yeah. the less I know, the easier I am to control. And it's, you know, athlete, I mean, heck, even a guy, a young guy who comes out of school, starts an online business, makes half a million bucks in his first year. You're, you're like, holy shit, man. Like, this is insane. What do I do? I'm, well, I'm going to start popping bottles. I'm going to start yeah. doing this, that, buying a house, you know, because that's what everybody else is doing, supposedly. Yeah. But everybody else is broke. He's only done it once. <laughs> He's only done it once. And that business can yeah. go shit the next year. 100%. Yeah. You, you think stack, stack the issue win. becomes you think it's in perpetuity. You think you're always going to have it. And when you're young, you don't realize, okay, after this contract's up, you might not get another one. You might not be good enough. You might get hurt. You might get, you know, there's all these intangibles that may happen. And when you're starting, you don't want to think about the end Mm. because you're just starting. (laughs) Yeah, It's something that you have to at least, you know, have a little birdie over here telling you, okay, if it's over, what do we do? And it's, it's hard to grasp. And it's, I mean, it's, it's hard. Yeah. I think coming from, you know, someone like yourself though, who's obviously you have a track record of success, both in the sport and outside of the sport, you know, um, family man, like, you know, you, I think the transparent conversations need to happen, you know, cause like I said, it'll benefit tons of athletes, I'm sure, but it'll also benefit a lot of people just watching from the sideline. Like, Oh man, I need to be, I need to be more in tune with what I'm doing with my money too. It's this huge conversation that needs to be had. Yeah. Yeah, no, hope, you know, I'm hoping it, I'm hoping it doesn't go away. You know, that's the the goal is that it continues and we're able to, you know, find some, find some traction with it and, and keep it out in, in the forefront. Sure. Well, Chris, man, I know your time's valuable. I appreciate you uh, 
taking an hour. I, I really enjoy you as a person, man. And I enjoyed watching my Blackhawks beat you <laughs> back in the day, a little bit, a little bit, I had to get a little jab in. Um, but no, nah, man, it, it's, it's always a pleasure getting to interact with you and I appreciate you doing it. My pleasure. Thank you. Awesome, brother. Thanks for listening to the True Transformation Podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave us um, a review. A review. Come back next time.